Join me for a hymn sing at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th, at Concordia University, Chicago. This year's theme, Things Above. Learn more and register at issuesetc.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Wheaton. The word in Greek for witness is where we get the word martyr from. The witness they would bear would often bring them to death, but they would bear that with joy. They would proclaim to the nations about the forgiveness of sins that is prepared in Christ for all who repent and turn to him, calling on his name, that is, who receive the gift of baptism, where the name of Christ is the principal matter. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the Gospel of St. Luke. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. Well, in our previous study, we were right at the point where the two Emmaus disciples hit the road and headed back to Jerusalem to find the 11. Remember, that's sort of a generic term for the apostolic band. And I'm sure you recall the ambiguity of who said to whom the words, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Was it something that the 11 said to the two or that the two said to the 11? If the two to the 11, then here we have the name of the other Emmaus disciple, and this might well be the revelation to Cephas, which Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15. If the other way around, then the appearance to Cephas remains a bit of a mystery. The two do relate what happened to them on the road and how Jesus made himself known to them in the breaking of the bread, and as they're talking about all this, suddenly, out of nowhere, there he is again, speaking peace. They assume, I think quite logically, that it has to be an apparition they're seeing, but Jesus chases away that notion by inviting them to see the wounds in his body and to touch and see that he still has very real flesh and bones. They're blown away by all this, having a hard time sorting it out when he asks for something to eat. They give him some broiled fish and possibly also honeycomb, and he eats it right there in front of them, not because he was hungry, but to show them beyond all their inability to understand it, this really was a very real body that had been raised from the dead. The continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning at the 44th verse. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, 
beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Luke 24, verses 44 to 53. Let us pray. O King of glory, Lord of hosts, uplifted in triumph far above all heavens, leave us not without consolation, but send us the Spirit of truth whom you promise from the Father. For you live and reign with him in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So you're ready to dig into these final words of St. Luke's Gospel? Let's do it. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I got into one of those interminable internet discussions not long ago with a fellow who simply denied that the Old Testament had any ongoing relevance for Christians. Y'all know by now that I would strongly disagree with that sentiment. I simply do not know how one can read the New Testament and conclude that, particularly with these words of Jesus ringing in our ears, the risen one who had just eaten in their presence and allowed them to handle his body and prove that he was no ghost, he calls their minds back to what he had been trying to teach them, namely, that everything written about Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures, law, prophets, psalms, corresponds to the traditional division of the Hebrew canon into Torah, Navi'im, and Ketuvim, had to be fulfilled. So Jesus himself knows that he is the subject of the Old Testament writings. They're actually all about him. You see, he's the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3. He's the seed of Abraham to bless all the families of the earth, Genesis 12. He's the lamb promised in Genesis 22 to Isaac. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah of Genesis 49. He's the one foretold in Isaiah 7 as virgin born. In Isaiah 9 as the child born and yet also the son given. In Isaiah 53, as the suffering and dying servant of Yahweh, bearing the sin of the world. In Psalm 22, as the one forsaken and pierced in both hands and feet and mocked and spit upon. In Daniel 7 and Psalm 110, as the Son of Man, given an eternal kingdom. And so very many more passages. His point is that he had to fulfill all of that, the suffering and the glory, to bear the shame and then to have the dominion. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I don't know for sure, but I assume that means by doing what he did to the two earlier, taking them on a delightful romp through the Old Testament scriptures and reminding them of the passages I just alluded to and a whole bunch more, showing them how to see them all as uniting around his life and his self-oblation. Hence, verse 46, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He hammers home again to them the order 
in which this unfolded. First comes suffering, then the glory of the resurrection on the third day. And this is why the Nicene Creed includes that phrase, according to the scriptures. It's not saying that the New Testament scriptures say that he's risen. Of course they do. But that his rising from the dead fulfills the promises of God in the Old Testament. This is how the seed of Abraham will bring blessing to all the families of the earth. How David's son will have an eternal kingdom and dominion and so on. Now, the idea of the third day specifically is from Hosea 6, verses 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. And what exactly is the result of Christ's being raised from the dead? Well, how about this? Verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now, let's note first that the relationship between repentance and forgiveness differs in various manuscripts. Some have it, as the ESV I just read puts it, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But certainly many have them as two separate items, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. See the ESV footnote on that. St. Augustine apparently had the text with an and before him. He wrote in the 5th century, what did he tell them from the scriptures? He said, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name, beginning from Jerusalem. Now get these words. This is amazing. The disciples could not see this. They could see Christ talking about the church that would be, when Christ said something they could not see, they believed him. They could see the head, but they could not see the body. We can see the body, but we believe about the head. They are too, husband and wife, head and body, Christ and the church. He showed himself to the disciples and he promised them the church. He shows us the church and orders us to believe about himself. The apostles saw one thing, but they did not see the other. We also see one thing and do not see the other. Having the head there with them, they believed about the body. Having the body here with us, we believe about the head. That is one of my all-time favorite passages from that great father. Superb insight. So, out to all nations, the church would spread from Jerusalem as the apostles go forth preaching repentance and forgiveness in Jesus' name. Think of how this is expressed in Acts. Peter in Cornelius' house, Acts 10, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Or Paul in Acts 17, verse 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. The word in Greek for witness is where we get the word martyr from. 
The witness they would bear would often bring them to death, but they would bear that with joy. They would proclaim to the nations about the forgiveness of sins that is prepared in Christ for all who repent and turn to him, calling on his name, that is, who receive the gift of baptism, where the name of Christ is the principal matter. Verse 49, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, the promise of my Father is the Holy Spirit. The instruction to stay in the city is in some tension with the instruction of the angel to meet the Lord in Galilee. See Matthew 28, verse 7, and John 21, for example. I think the way to resolve that is to recognize that Luke has here conflated appearances. This was Cyril of Alexandria's conclusion, remember, placing the events we're studying today on the 40th day, as we'll read next time from Acts 1. You know how we often do that when we're recounting something. So then these words of Jesus were spoken to the disciples, likely not on Easter evening, but probably after they had returned to Jerusalem from Galilee and done so in anticipation of the Pentecost feast. At least, that's the way I solved the puzzle. Verse 50, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Bethany, recall, is on the Mount of Olives. He lifts up those nail-scarred hands and blesses his own. And as he does so, verse 51, While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. They see him rise up. He ascends beyond their vision. We'll learn next time that a cloud actually received or covered him. Their response to this is verse 52. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, verse 53, and were continually in the temple blessing God. So St. Luke wraps up exactly where he began, in the temple at Jerusalem, where the angel had appeared to Zechariah and with the great joy, which the angels had announced on the night of Jesus' birth. And if I breeze through these last verses, it's because Luke really does sort of pick up in the second volume with a recap of them. So we'll cover that next time as we move into Acts, and he explains that he'd only covered in the book we just studied what Jesus had begun to do and to teach. Lots more doing and teaching awaits us as we move on. To borrow St. Augustine's insight, from the visible head to the invisible head, from the invisible body to the visible body. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can donate by check, make your check payable to... The Word Endures, and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.